Hey, it's Jeff Sanders. The episode this week is a bit unique. In fact, I've been waiting quite a while to share this story. My wife Tessa and I had a baby a few months ago, and we had quite a journey to get there. In this very unique episode of the 5A Miracle Podcast, I chat with my wife Tessa about our fertility journey. So this is the 5A Miracle episode number 255, Fertility, IVF, and Making Babies with Tessa Sanders. And I think there's this idea that I don't want to tell people because if something bad were to happen, then I would have to tell them that as well. Mm. In a way, that's misguided because when something really bad happens, you do lean on your really close friends and family members to help you through those times. Good morning. Welcome to the 255th episode of the 5AM Miracle. I am Jeff Sanders, and this is the podcast dedicated to dominating your day before breakfast. My goal is to help you bounce out of bed with enthusiasm, create powerful lifelong habits, and tackle your grandest goals with extraordinary energy. Here on the show, we discuss early mornings, and we dive into topics like healthy habits, personal development, rock and productivity, and sometimes we go off script. The episode this week is one of those. And in fact, it's the first of a two-part series. The second part will air soon. And before we get into the discussion this week, a quick disclaimer that the episode this week features an adult conversation about fertility and making babies and things that are related to that. Uh, It's a clean conversation, but not necessarily one that's ideal for younger listeners. Um, Also, Tessa wanted me to mention that in this conversation, we discuss our fertility journey from our very narrow perspective. You know, everyone has their own experience and we have no intention of making our stories sound special or unique or really in any way deserving of more attention than someone else's. Uh, We just knew for the last few years that this was a story that had the potential uh, to help others who are facing similar challenges. And we especially want you to know that you are not alone. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Hey, welcome to the 5 a.m. Miracle Studio. I am super excited today to be talking once again with my wife, Tessa. Hi. How you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you back on the show today, mostly because uh, this is not only like your eighth time on the show, I think, but mostly because of today's topic. Uh, we have a new visitor in the studio with us today. You want to introduce her? Yes. Next to me, sleeping in a pile of blankets and pink things is our little baby Maisie. That's right. We've got a daughter, which is super exciting. Uh, This is uh, the first time that we've had a baby in our lives. And uh, today's episode is going to be all about how she came to be, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Before we get to the conversation today, I do want to put in a little disclaimer. And that's to say uh, this episode is going to be uh, more, not necessarily graphic, but it is going to be more of an adult conversation. So if you have kids with you and you're not a fan of them hearing a lot of the details around fertility and pregnancy and uh, bringing babies into the world, uh, this may be a time to pause the episode and come back at a later date. Uh, But until then, uh, this episode will stay clean. It will just be nice and detailed on the things that uh, tell our story. Uh, because that's one thing I wanted to to do today was to really share what we've gone through in the last uh, basically three years. because that's where the story began, and that's where today is going to start. So let's let's go with that. Three years ago, Tessa, uh, where were you? What were you doing? Where did this whole thing begin? 
So I was in grad school getting my degree in educational leadership. Your doctorate. Yep. And was very sort of focused on career and school and all sorts of things like that. Um, And I sort of had it in the back of my head that we would have a family at some point, that we would have a baby, but we would just wait until I was done with school and graduated. And, um, you know, maybe that's a little bit later than some people had, you know, planned to start a family, but we were sort of, in a way, putting it off until that stuff was finished. Which makes sense. I mean, you've been in school or, or were in school for many years. You've I lot, like school. Lots of degrees and lots of education, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, but obviously, it's more challenging to pursue uh, a career with that kind of intensity and also uh, raise a child, which we have learned in the last few months. Wow, it's, there's a lot going on there. So uh, in, in part, it was a great thing that we waited. Uh, but our story kind of unfolds a little bit differently in the sense that uh, it took longer than we wanted. Uh, and that's where this whole thing really kicks off. So three years ago, you were in school. Uh, you were a few months from graduation, and you decided that it was time to stop taking birth control to lean towards the idea of getting pregnant. Yeah, I had heard from some people basically that you don't get pregnant the second you stop taking birth control. So stop earlier um, because it could take a little bit of time. And so I was thinking, you know, if we want to have a baby shortly after I graduate, I would stop taking my birth control a few months before that. And then on the off chance I got pregnant before school was over, I still wouldn't have the baby until much later. And so it would all be fine. So a few months before I graduated, I decided to stop taking the birth control and sort of see how that would go. And at the time, I realized really how long I have been on birth control since high school, basically. And so it really... I was really surprised to find how my body reacted to just not being on birth control. It really took me a few months to detox from that. And I had really bad headaches and was really dizzy. seemed like for weeks on end, um, all because I was just sort of detoxing from being on hormone regulating medication, I guess, for such a long time. Um, And honestly, it made me really want at that point to not be on medication ever again, (laughs) um, just because I could see how it was affecting my body and how much better I felt when I really had fully detoxed from it. So at that point, you were off of the birth control and your body at some point began to feel a little more normal. Uh, And so that's when we basically began to try to get pregnant the old fashioned way. Yep. Without doing really anything, without thinking too hard about it, just sort of we spent a few months just, you know, living a good life and <laughs> and hoping things would just sort of happen really naturally. Right. And you could fast forward this uh, this clock about 18 months because that's essentially how long that we, uh, we gave it the old college try and uh, didn't have any results to speak of. Yeah. So during that time period, I mean, that was... I would say the beginning of the frustration that kicked in for us, uh, you know, down the road, in the sense that we were uh, at this point we're what thirty-one years old, both of us, and you know the clock begins to tick as you know, you get a little older, and we're thinking we'd like to get pregnant sometime soon without kind of the age factor being an issue. So it was eighteen months after trying that we decided we should go talk to somebody about this. Well, so before we were really talking to anybody, we. We're sort of tracking ovulation and timing things so that we could hopefully get a better result. Um, And after that, didn't work for 
months, probably six months. Um, that's when we went in and talked to the OB about fertility stuff. And that's where we ended up going to the clinic here in Nashville, the Nashville Fertility Center, which basically in Nashville is kind of the only place you can go. There's like one location. You go there and you get uh, it's I'm not going to say anything bad about the, the center because it's a good place, uh, but it's intimidating to walk into a place like that and talk to somebody and to at that point for us, like start to be pretty vulnerable with sharing like we've been trying a lot of this stuff. It's not working. You know, is there something wrong with us? Like, what do we do now? Um, I think that's for me when kind of a lot of the fear began to kick in. And I, I remember being really, um, sort of thrown off by all the medical jargon that they used. Mm. Um, and I still don't understand a lot of it. Um, but even just knowing, like learning about what IVF even is, I think I had, I had a sense of like, you make babies in test tubes, (laughs) but that's really all. And that's when we, at that time, we really started to understand like what all is involved with IVF and what that actually means and how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost and all the stuff tied into it beyond just sort of what I had, you know, the very little that I knew about what it was. I remember going through the process myself thinking, you know, at each stage along the way, well, this is the one that's going to work. So we're not going to need to know the rest of this information. So it was, I almost in many cases, like felt like, don't tell me all of that because I'm not going to need to know that because we're not going to be doing that. Right. And then it turned out that we were all about that. Yeah. So before we actually did IVF, which is in vitro fertilization, we did what they call IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. So we tried um, some sort of different reproductive assistance, as they Mm -hmm. call it, before we actually got to the point where we decided we really do need to do IVF. And at that point, they had run some tests to determine exactly what was going on. And their basic conclusion, at least for the first few months, was we don't know what's going on. Yeah. So and, when yeah. when you are trying to figure out why you're not having a baby, they sort of go through a few different sort of check boxes and say, is it that your hormones are off and that's why you're not getting pregnant? Is it that your like physical anatomy is off and that's why you're not getting pregnant? Um, Is it that you're getting pregnant, but you're not staying pregnant? And so they sort of did all these tests. Is it that the sperms aren't swimming or there are not enough of them or the eggs aren't coming out or they're not right? All these different things. And they did test after test after test and weren't able to find really any reason why we wouldn't be getting pregnant. Until eventually they did. (laughs) Right. So while we're going through all, all these tests and doing some of the intrauterine insemination, the IUI, they eventually came back and someone discovered that we had, I had what they're, what they called anti-sperm antibodies. So the way they described it to me was that my egg has like a little force field or something around it. That's actually keeping the sperm out. Um, so at that point we realized there's no reason to continue with the insemination, which is basically where you kind of put some sperm in there at the right time and hope that the sperm and the egg get together. Because for me, that was not going to happen. The sperm is not going to go into the egg on its own. So we decided that we needed to pursue IVF at that point. And specifically, we decided to do the kind of IVF where they actually take the sperm and the egg, someone like a scientist or I don't know what they are, and actually like put the sperm into the egg directly um, to sort of bypass that anti-sperm antibody layer or whatever is happening. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you and I are not doctors in that <laughs> sense. You are a doctor, but not that kind of doctor. Um, and so walking through this whole process, both of us had this kind of 
I don't know, glossy-eyed feeling most of the time because there was a lot of language we didn't know. There was a lot of procedures that we were unfamiliar with. Um, having, you know, years later looking back at this, we went through so many different appointments that I felt like I really understood a lot of it. But those first few months was pretty daunting. Just learning, the learning curve was pretty intense. And it really feels like something is happening to you. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, we can talk later about our pregnancy journey and labor and delivery and all that, um, where I think things changed a bit. But especially in this early phase, the IVF part of this journey, it really just felt like something happening to me, um, just sort of a series of medical checklists that I was going through. And as this whole process started, even before we even did our first test, I remember we had to sit down and sign a bunch of paperwork with all these different scenarios of, you know, if X happens, then Y, and what will you do when? Uh, mostly saying that if you end up with fertilized eggs, you know, who who gets them in a divorce? Who gets them if someone dies? You know, what happens if the eggs, you know, are unusable? What happens if they're viable and they're just extras? Like all these scenarios of what to do when. And we essentially were playing God. It's kind of how it's, it's pitched to you is that this is a uh, it's a spiritual, ethical, moral kind of soul searching kind of process in a way, because there's a lot going on here that isn't what the average person goes through. And so you had, you know, both of us had to really think through, like, what what do we do with this whole process? And I think that a large part of me was totally fine with the whole thing. But there is that sense when you're going through it that, like, I'm messing with something here that I think still, even to this day, I feel kind of weird about because it's almost like we created something out of thin air, but yet I know how the process works. It's so kind of strange. Yeah. And I think there's a time early on where I was sort of asking myself, like, should we do this? Is Mm -hmm. it God's plan that we don't have kids? Or is it that if I just wait longer, then God's timing will work out without doing IVF? And I think like through praying and taking some time to really think about it I got this sense that like this is God's plan this is God's timing is for us to do IVF and so that for me it didn't really feel like we were playing God or or trying to take something to take control of something outside of God's hands but that this is how our path was meant to be um, through God's plan What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with my sponsor, Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
And I think that throughout the whole process, I mean, it ultimately, it felt more right to me as we were doing it. I think in part because, you know, as like a productivity guy, as a guy who's pretty methodical through the way I approach things, we I got to a sense where I understood enough what was going on that I had a sense of, okay, here's our next action. Here's the next step to take. And we're going to go do this. And then if this process doesn't work, we have the, you know, the backup plan in place. And I think that part of me felt a little better about it because then I felt like we had some sort of a sense of, you know, we're going to start this round of medications or we're going to do these shots or we're going to go through this appointments. And then it became, I mean, not just, it was daunting and overwhelming and very expensive, but beyond that, it was, we had a little more control over what was going on, which I felt better about as opposed to feeling like this is totally out of my hands and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And I think, you know, we were very productive people, but it was like, there was so much going on between medication and paperwork with receipts and financial stuff that if you are not a very productive person, I think it would be very difficult. Um, but well, we, this, this is a good time to mention your binder because, you know, as this process began, we began to notice the amount of paperwork involved and just all of the stuff we had to organize on our own just to wrap our own brains around what was happening. And so you created a binder to organize that. Yeah. So I had... You know, generally around our house, we use digital copies, so we don't keep a lot of paper. We don't have file folders full of paperwork. We really try to scan things or take pictures and then get rid of the paper copy. Um, but for some reason with IVF, I really had a lot more paper in my life. Um, so I created a binder that had all the information we got about IVF and fertility, all the receipts. I had dates on everything. I wrote on their sort of in my wording, like what was this receipt for? Um, and I, at the time, I don't really know why I was doing it, but I think part of it was that I really wanted to have control over something. And then later on, I was able to sort of flip back through some of that stuff. And it was kind of like a journal, even though it was just like a bunch of receipts and paperwork, but sort of documenting like, here are all the different steps that we went through here, are all the different doctor visits we had. And I think in a way it was nice for me to see like, as the binder got thicker and thicker and thicker, like to sort of acknowledge how hard it was and how much work we really had put into it because it, you know, we did a lot of it without talking to a bunch of people about it. So, you know, it's in a way that binder serves as like documentation of all the things that we did to get where we are. Yeah. That's a good point to mention too, the idea of isolation and, you know, that we would go into the waiting room of the clinic and, there was a lot of sad people that were in that waiting room, people that were on their own or people that were going through, you know, you, you get bad news a lot there. You walk in thinking like today's the day we get some positive direction. And often that wasn't the case. A lot of we had a lot of obstacles and setbacks. And you know, the, it was a very isolating process to go through because we weren't sharing this stuff publicly. We weren't talking about this with most I mean, most of our friends didn't even know until much later on. I think that that's. That can pose a large challenge. And part of that's why we're doing this this talk today, because after going through all of this, it really seems like something that needs to be a lot more open. Um, actually, I have a podcasting friend here in Nashville who's launching an entire podcast about fertility, which I think is a very, uh, very great topic to bring out in the open, because the last thing that I would want to do going forward would be to go through something like this alone, because that's just, it's not worth it in that sense. And I think there's this idea that I don't, want to tell people because if something bad were to happen, then I would have to tell them that as well. Mm. But I think in a way that's misguided because when something really bad happens, 
you do lean on your really close friends and family members to help you through those times. And so if there are people who are doing IVF, I would encourage them to find a few people to talk to about people who you know you would want to be there or who you know would be there for you if something didn't turn out as planned um, and to have more than one person that you can sort of talk to and lean on. Um, the IVF process is really long <laughs> and is. there are lots of emotional and physical ups and downs. And it's, I think it's helpful for, for the close people in your life to know what's going on. Certainly is. And it's interesting too, that since we finished this process, I know of other people in my life now who have gone through this, who didn't tell anybody either. And now they're on the other side of it, talking about it. And it's interesting that there are a lot more people out there that are going through things that you think you're by yourself in that journey, but that's never true. There's always somebody else going through it. And in our case, like I know of many friends and family who have been through challenges on their own like this. And so it's just interesting that I think our natural inclination is to just do it alone. Um, and then that's kind of the way I approach most things in my life is I'll figure it out and I, you know, I don't need somebody else, but I think anything of this magnitude, it's the better approach is definitely to do it with other people. And not a ton of people. Like I think there's a line, <laughs> yeah. but I just think, you know, you don't have to sort of suffer alone. And, and, you know, with, with the IVF process, you're talking about people in the waiting room being sad, sad faced. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, even when we did have good news, I was so aware that other people were really struggling that I didn't really want to share it. Or I was really mm. cautious about who I shared it with because I didn't want them to feel sad or upset that they weren't getting good news like we were getting. And so, you know, it wasn't just that I needed support when we had rough times. It was that I wanted to celebrate with people when we had positive news. Um, so I was thankful to have that support system along the way. This is kind of the same, along the same lines. I remember we were going in for an appointment and the lady at the front desk was pregnant. And I was thinking, I, I had jealous thoughts about that. I felt like, not like I was antagonistic towards her or something, but there is that sense of you have something that I don't, which I think was a very strange thing. I, I'm normally not that kind of person, but when you're actively trying to get something for such a long time, uh, I think those feelings are, are, are pretty common. Yeah. And there was, there were some times too, where I felt like sort of pregnancy was this world that I was not allowed to be a part of. And so the idea of um, reading books about pregnancy or about breastfeeding or about buying maternity clothes, I sort of felt like I shouldn't be like, yeah. I, I was not sort of deserving of doing those kinds of things. And so during the IVF process, I would listen on the way back and forth to the, to the clinic. I would listen to podcasts about pregnancy, but I felt really like I don't want anybody to know that I'm doing this um, because I just didn't feel sort of entitled to, do that. Um, so I think that's just like one of the many layers of emotional stuff that comes with IVF. I know the throughout the process physically, I became like bloated from all the medications mm. that I was on. And I really probably would have benefited from having some maternity clothes that sort of expand at the waist, <laughs> but I just couldn't bring myself to go to the maternity section at a store during that time. Um, and I didn't ask anybody, you know, my, my family members to help me out there. But I think if I were to do it again, which we don't have to do that part again, but I would get some maternity clothes a little earlier to, so that I could be like physically comfortable. But I know at the time, emotionally, I just like wasn't able to let myself be in that space. 
Yeah, it's an interesting kind of process because there's a lot, there's things that are happening that we know are happening, but then there's like the, the mind games of, you know, down the road, if this actually works, which I try not to play that game too often, but if this works, you know, a few months from now, we'll be in this place and then I'll need to, you know, shop at the, you know, the, the child section of Target or whatever the case is. Like, I wouldn't even, the same way, I wouldn't even go to those sections because I'm like, I'm not going to buy, you know, little baby socks and shoes right now because that just seems silly to even let myself have that. Uh, while it's still so up in the air. Because that was a, a huge part of the process is that you're given a lot of numbers. You know, the odds of this thing happening are, is this. And because of that, this may not work. And that was always the message was, this is probably going to fail. And then if it, if it did work, it was like, okay, you got lucky. And that's just kind of how it always felt to me was we just kept getting lucky. And then sometimes we wouldn't. And so they would the reality would sink in again. And so I was always, is that back and forth mind game of like, how do I... How am I okay with this while it's happening, knowing that I'm getting a series of, of bad news, you know, scenarios frequently? And and the money keeps racking up too. So yes, constantly. You know, there's the the forward thinking of like, what if we do have a family, and what will it be like if we are parents? But then there's also that sort of ching ching adding up in the background, where if this doesn't work, not only have we put a lot of time and effort and tears into this, but a lot of money too. Well, the money thing is really, really interesting and horrific in so many ways because we live in a state in the U.S. where IVF is not covered by insurance. Um, there may be some insurance plans that cover a small piece of it, but we live in a place where if you want to do a fertility process like this, it is a total out-of-pocket expense. And so that meant that meant we literally had to raise the money, get the cash together, pay for it, and it was tens of thousands of dollars. And we had to go through two different rounds, we'll get to in a second, but two different rounds of the IVF process uh, to get the number of eggs we needed. And so the price almost doubled in the middle of us doing this. And it just, there's such that sense of like financial stress. There's the fear of like, if this works, I'll be a parent someday. And then there's that fear. There's a fear the whole thing will fail. There's a fear we'll have to do this process a million times in a row. We're going to go bankrupt while trying to do it. And so it's all of that mixed together while still hoping it's all going to work. Well, and being thankful that, you know, we have family members who can help pitch in Mm. and that we have jobs that make money. And, you know, there were times where I would look around that sort of dreary waiting area at the fertility clinic and just realize how many people can't even don't even have the means or the support to get there. Right. I mean, it's 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 a daunting thing and it really feels exclusive in that you have to have the means to be able to go through it. And it's also bizarre because 30 years ago, it didn't even exist. And now it does, and it's, it's still very experimental. I mean, most multiple times they asked us to be part of studies, and they're trying to figure out like how to improve the process. And so I felt like, in a lot of ways, we were trying some random weird experiment, and we really had no idea what was going to happen. And I think that whole process to me, like that's not how I approach most of the things I do in my life. So to go through that, I felt like this is going to be a really interesting story when it's all finished. Well, and it's cool to think that, you know, in the past, people who had infertility had no options like this. I mean, and adoption in, would have been the option. Right? Yeah. There wasn't much else to choose from. And now there are lots of avenues you can choose from, um, thankfully. And so that's to that degree. I mean, it's, it's a great you know science to have in the world. I'm glad it's there. Uh, but man, it's it's such a trip in so many ways. Yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a mix of like really, really cool and like really kind of awful both at the same time. And there's a reality that neither one of us are big fans of being at hospitals <laughs> in general. Um, our very first appointment, we went back for, I was an, ultras- an ultrasound, I believe, 
Uh, I went back to the small room and the, the lights were dimmed and I had basically a panic attack. I was like just like really not comfortable being there. I don't, I don't like hospitals and doctors in general. I want to try to stay away from that, which is in part why I like to run and eat healthy, like avoid all of that. And so I think there was a big adjustment just on, on my end just to be okay with being there and having blood tests all the time and being poked all the time. And then I had to stab you with needles all the time to get all these hormones in there. And like, it was, I think on many levels, a big adjustment. Yeah. And most of it wasn't happening to you anyway. Right. And it was still, was you know, still, I'm talking about yeah. getting blood drawn, but it was mostly me. Well, it's like sympathy pains. And then I had that going on at the same time. So it's, yes, majority, it was definitely on you and you are a huge you know, trooper in that sense, but it was definitely a journey for the two of us to go through. Uh, and in part, this really is like a, a joint venture. There was a lot involved uh, on both of our sides in that sense. So let's pick the story up with where we left off. We had done the IUI. We had started IVF. Um, we had the test run that said that the anti-sperm antibodies was our cause. And so the IVF process basically was a ton of medications. Uh lots of hormone injections, a lot of that process to essentially build up your body to create a bunch of eggs all at the same time. And to not, so normally your eggs are released once a month. Right. And so one of the medications was to sort of keep them in. And Mm -hmm. another medication was to grow more than normal. Right. This is how I understand it. This might not be (laughs) exactly right, but this is how I understand it. Yeah. Um, And so the first sort of set or the first phase of IVF is to just build up all these eggs in my body that they can then remove a whole bunch sort of at the same time. Um, And so during that time, we were doing shots every day to sort of build up these eggs in kind of like an abnormal way. At that time, that was the estrogen and progesterone, right? Or get this backwards. Mm, no, that was later. We were, yeah, we weren't there yet. Well, okay, well, there's a lot of <laughs> this one's confusing. There were a lot of hormones that we were injecting into you, um, so that your body could build up the eggs, uh, which all was leading up to an extraction, basically, where the, a doctor comes in and does it's essentially a minor surgery, and they pull out as many eggs as you've produced. And then at that point, this is where the numbers game like kicks in. They're looking for how many of these eggs are viable, like healthy as they are. And then from there, that's when they do the injection to try to fertilize as many of them as as healthy as possible. And then there's a question of how many of them successfully fertilized. And then at that point, there's a waiting period to see if they actually grew. And then I think that was a five-day period. And then after those five days of growth, how many of them are successfully healthy after five days of growth? And then of those, you freeze them. And then at a later date, you go through and actually implant them to try to get pregnant. And in the middle of all this, there's also the genetic testing we paid for uh, to try to weed out any you know, of the eggs that may have chromosomal abnormalities or other issues that may kick in. So it was really a number thing at that point to figure out how many eggs can we extract from you that will ultimately be a super healthy, frozen, genetically you know, healthy embryo that can successfully be implanted to, for you to be pregnant. And this is sort of the way that we, that our nurses were recommending that we go through this process and our doctors. So some people don't do the genetic testing. And some some don't do frozen. Right. And some don't do what's called ICSI. And I can't remember what it stands for, where they actually take the sperm and put it in the egg. Right. 
So there's a variety of ways to approach this. And we chose essentially the one that cost the very most, that was the most invasive, that was the most complicated, but also the one that in the end, theoretically, would produce a very healthy baby that would have been, you know, the best possible outcome that we were looking for. Um, so as we did this, it was round one, which we didn't know at the time, was we had, I believe it was 16 eggs that were extracted. And of those, only one ultimately was a healthy, frozen, genetically normal embryo. And the day we got that news was not really a fun day. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those where, you know, a phone call is coming to tell you the results. And then we got it. And it was a, in many ways, a huge letdown because the numbers that you're given tell you that you have to have a, a, a larger number than one because there's a pretty strong chance that the eggs may not make it all the way through the process. There's a thawing process after they're frozen. There's an implantation. There's a possibility of miscarriage. There's a possibility of stillbirths and other genetic issues. And so you ideally have a variety of eggs to choose from, and we only had one. And so that's why we had to then wait a few months and then try the whole process over again. So we had the option of implanting that one. And the IVF process that they've done, or that we did, we really did take a lot of steps to decrease the likelihood of a miscarriage. So there's a chance that we could have implanted that one egg and everything would have been fine. Yes. Um, I, you know, there were tests and I found out I was like um, physically, anatomically able to have a baby. They would regulate my hormones with medication. Um, we would choose an egg that was genetically normal. So a lot of the things that could lead to miscarriage, like having hormones that were off or physical anatomy that was off or an egg that wasn't viable, you know, we had sort of mitigated a lot of those factors. Um, so we could have taken that one egg, implanted it, and and maybe it would have worked out. Um, Possibly, yep. But we decided at the time that we wanted to try again grow some more eggs, go through that whole first phase again to try to get a few more eggs, partly so that we could have a backup in case the, you know, the one that we chose didn't work, didn't stay. Um, and then also we thought if we did want to have more than one child, it, even if that one egg did work, we would have to go through the whole process again mm -hmm. um, later in life. And with pregnancy, that biological clock is always ticking in the background. And so we decided we would go ahead and do another round of what they call egg retrieval, growing the eggs and retrieving the eggs. Then instead of waiting, implanting the egg, seeing if we had a kid and then going through the whole process again later when we're, you know, 35, 38, however, however old. Um, so essentially we went through the whole process again and now have frozen babies from a 32-year-old woman mm -hmm. instead of a 38-year-old woman or whenever we would maybe try to expand our family again. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think about your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should check out my sponsor, Babbel. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions, without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. So at that point, we decided to do round two, which, as I mentioned before, meant there's a huge increase in the amount of time being spent again. There's more money being spent. There's much more emotional stress at that point because we went through a first round and it didn't go well. I mean, in reality, having, I mean, getting one is still successful. That's still a great thing. But in terms of this, the odds of everything working, we had this, this extra sense of pressure because we really wanted round two to be effective because there are plenty of couples who go through IVF like this round after round after round until they get to a point where they either give up, go broke, or just try another avenue. And I was and that that was also the back of my mind that I did not I was really hoping that was not going to be our story. As it turns out it wasn't. We got round 2. Uh, once again it was 16 eggs extracted, but of those 6 ended up being healthy, you know, genetically normal, you know, frozen well-off embryos which left us with uh, three boys and four girls in that group. Because they tell you the gender. I mean, they ask you if you want to know. We, Of course, we wanted to know. Uh, so we have three boys and four girls in that group. So seven possible babies, which is a kind of daunting all by itself. But that was the news we wanted. And that was that was a really good day. That, along this process, that was definitely a good day. So we had the choice at that point to... We, we asked them, like, how do you pick one of these you know, embryos? And they, they rate them. They give them a grade, basically, figuring out kind of how their chromosomes are aligned, like which one is the healthiest. And they picked one for us, and that one uh, turned out to be the little girl in our studio today. Uh, but at the time, th- that was up to them. They, they picked it for us, and we uh, chose this, uh, this embryo to then implant a couple of months later um, based on timing of cycles and everything. And we got the implantation done a few months later. So we took a break after that second round of egg retrieval, mm-hmm. partly because my body was just really reacting against all the medication and all the um, sort of messing around that we had been doing. So I took a few months off to let my body just detox. I was on, I sort of weaned off all the medication and just went back to totally natural um sort of let my body totally detox from all the the medications that I was on. And we also took that time to come up with a little bit of a new financial plan because we had already spent more than we had originally anticipated. Um, and again, I'm very thankful for our family members who were <laughs> helpful during that time. Um, but we took a few months off and then in the fall started to gear up for the, what they call the implantation, um, which is a whole nother set of, drugs so mm-hmm. at this time i'm off the the medications um related to like growing eggs 
and I'm starting medications related to making my body like a happy, warm place for this egg to live. Did you want to mention the um, hyper stimulation thing as well that happened? Yeah, that's essentially so at this, the end of the second round of egg retrieval, my body kind of shut down and was like, this like is not the nat- this is not a normal thing to do. Right. Um, and so your ovaries had been sort of asked by these medications to produce a whole lot of eggs. And to, so the medication is stimulating your ovaries to like make more eggs and keep them in. And it was it's a very unnatural process, which again is amazing that science can make your body do these things that are, it's sort of not meant to do. Um, but uh, after the end of the second round, my body was just like, this is not happening. So I went into what they call ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, um, which, you know, it didn't last for a really long time, but in the moment you're just like, how can I carry on my body? Like it really feels like it's shutting down. Um, but fortunately my body after being off all the medications and just taking some time, my body was able to sort of reset and go back to normal. Um, and so we were able to sort of carry on with the next phase. And the next phase involved the daily shots that ultimately lasted for about 12 weeks, which probably from my perspective, that was the part you didn't enjoy the most because that was a a daily round of shots that are painful and that's a pretty large needle. And it's it's not a fun process, but that's the one that was the progesterone uh, that we uh, had to, you know, balance that that out that with the estrogen to make sure that that was going to work. And that was also interesting, too, because we were going through this process of injecting you with hormones and we would go into the office to check those levels. And this is part of the process, I think, that was frustrating for me was that we were given a lot of information that essentially is just very cautious people trying to, you know, play the game in the right way that's going to not get our hopes up. But because of that approach, which is probably the correct approach, is the one of saying we're not going to give you information that's a false positive, they lean on kind of freaking out about things that aren't actually problems. And so we were given a lot of information that said this this could be a problem. This may lead down this bad path. You may end up with you know a baby that has these problems, or you may not be have a baby at all. And so we were constantly being told information that made us think worst case scenario. And that kept happening even as we were basically about to get pregnant and even after we were actually pregnant. And so that part to me was one of the most frustrating aspects of this whole thing was that I wanted to be given real information uh, without just the tendency to lean towards the negative. That just that doesn't help someone who's already kind of going through emotional roller coaster rides anyway. Uh, so that was part of the process. It's not a fun part, but I think that's that is a tendency for those who have talked to a lot of doctors. I think that's pretty common. And I think it's paired with this idea of expectations. So we had the expectations yeah. that we would stop the shots on at a certain time. And then we found out actually your body's not producing these hormones like it should on its own. So you need to keep taking these shots. And that was, I think, upsetting because I was so focused on the end of these shots because they were so painful that I really wanted to be done with them. And so to then say, oh, you need to keep taking them sort of made us think, is there something wrong? Is something happening? Did things not go as planned? All to find out that this, you know, having to stay on them for a little bit longer is not unusual. But I think the expectations that we had and the information that we're given just sort of put us into this place of frustration and fear Mm. that in the end sounds like we didn't actually need to be experiencing it all (laughs) right yeah exactly 
So we began the second, the, the rounds of estrogen and progesterone all leading up to implantation, which happened, what was that, a few weeks in? Yes. After the, after we started the, so we started the shots like early October mm-hmm. and the implantation was like mid to late October. Yes. Um, so everything is perfectly timed out, um, by the clinic. Um, and so, yeah. And then we went into essentially an operating room for the day of. And they got to, I got to look at the embryo in a microscope and they, and they asked me like, so is this, is this yours? Let's verify this. And I was like, I have no idea. There's just some random dots in a little Petri dish. Um, but, but it is kind uh, of fun to know that, you know, we had now we have millions and millions, it seems like of pictures of her Yes. and to know that like that very first picture we have of her is like her little fertilized egg mm-hmm. and Jeff is the first one to see it i mean other than medical professionals but right. we have this picture her like very first baby picture which is just <laughs> like an egg i don't know that's kind of cool it is it is and then yeah so you got uh the implantation completed which then technically means at that very moment you were pregnant but we had to wait a few weeks to make sure that it stuck so from what i understand and again, if there are like medical people out there, I'm probably messing this whole thing up. Well, I, if you're a doctor listening to this, just go ahead and email me and tell me <laughs> how, how wrong we are. It's totally fine. Uh, but we're just making our best guess at this. <laughs> so from what I understand, they sort of take this egg that is now fertilized and sort of put it in the right place. But it takes a couple of weeks for it to like really implant into the side of the uterus and for my body to start making like the hormones that it needs to sort of maintain a pregnancy. Right. Um, so after a couple weeks, we, you know, they said, if you come in at this time, we'll take this blood test and we'll be able to see how much of the pregnancy hormone you have. And that will tell us if it's worked or not. Um, and of course they say like, don't take a home pregnancy test because they're not <laughs> helpful. And we will tell you when you come in based on the blood test and the hormone levels, if you're pregnant or not. And so I'm at home like 10 days in to this, two week wait, taking all these pregnancy tests and trying to see <laughs> if I can like faintly see like a pink line. And I remember, I remember this whole process of me being like, Tessa, stop that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I was like, okay, I won't. And then I did anyway. Yep. And I remember uh. one morning I, cause they say to, you know, if you're getting pregnant in the normal way, you take your pregnancy test early in the morning, right? When you wake up, you have the most chance of like getting an accurate reading. So I remember one morning I woke up, on the stick and I could swear I saw like the faintest little line and so I woke Jeff up and was like look at this stick <laughs> and of course he is like in the depths of sleep so he looks at it and it's dark in the room and he doesn't see this faint line that I maybe made up and was like it's fine like you're doing it way too early anyway like don't worry and I was like no 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 I think there's a line and he's like okay crazy lady <laughs> So yeah, we didn't have yeah. this sort of, you know, like you see on TV where like the wife knows that she's pregnant and like reveals it to the dad with like a coffee cup that just happens to say like world's best dad and like surprise. Like we never had that. Nope. Um, and I think, you know, there's a part of me that's really sad that we, you know, didn't re- get to reveal to each other or to our parents in that way. Right. Um, you know, we didn't get that sort of normal thing of guess what, mom? having a baby and everyone is crying and it's beautiful. Like we didn't have that. But on the flip side, and people go through this kind of process, you do have choices that you otherwise would never have everything from gender to genetic testing to, you know, making sure that you the timing of everything. I mean, there's a lot involved where you actually have a lot of control 
uh, which was kind of a, a nice byproduct of all of it. Um, doesn't really make up for the, the stress involved, but there there are some perks in that sense. Yeah. I mean, we knew early on if this did work, it'd be a girl. And I think knowing mm. the gender, sort of having that to sort of grasp onto was really helpful and meaningful. Yes. But, so after I had this like really faint line on the stick, I'm like, I think we might be pregnant. Then we went into the clinic and they took a blood test and it was like sort of positive. And they said, we need to wait for a certain amount of days to see if the hormones double or triple or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this phase where we were sort of like, I think we're pregnant, but I'm not exactly sure. And then we went in a few days later and they were like, I'm not really sure. Come back in a few more days. And so we went a few more days later and they're like, yes, things look like they're going in the right direction, but you need to stay on the shots. And so again, we were still at this place of like, I think we're pregnant, but I'm not really sure. Um, And I feel like that feeling sort of characterized the first, at least the first trimester, if not more of our pregnancy that like, is this happening? Is it not? Should we be happy? Should we not? Can I like read a baby book yet? Can I go <laughs> shopping for little baby booties? No, you know, it was really just this sense of, I, I think I could be happy, but I, I really didn't want to get too excited about it right? because I was at that phase of my life, like so, so strongly trying to sort of guard my own emotions. Um, oh, totally. We'd gone through so many kind of ups and downs with it. The last thing I wanted was to let myself be excited just to be let down later. And I, I, Everyone who gets pregnant has that sense of like, well, I should wait a little bit in case things don't work before I make a public announcement. But I felt like for us, we had to wait even longer and be even more doubly sure that things were working because it was just, it felt like there was such a chance this is all going to just like slip away from us so fast. And I think in reality, that chance was much lower than a lot of women who do this the normal way experience. Which is also interesting because that's one thing, partly why we chose to go like the frozen genetically tested route was because the odds of a miscarriage are greatly reduced when you do the genetic testing because essentially they choose very healthy embryos, which means the odds of miscarriage are, are reduced. And so the odds of, of you being pregnant and staying pregnant and having a healthy delivery, all of that is just a better odds. And yet we still felt the sense of like, Ugh, this may not work. Right. And I also felt this feeling of why can't this just be like normal people have? Mm-hmm. But now I realize probably most people have that fear of, is this really happening? Is oh, this yeah. not? Yeah. Um, so I think throughout the whole IVF process, I really just wanted things to be normal. But now I see a lot of the stuff we went through really probably is normal and is yeah. experienced by most women or most families. Oh, right. Now, certainly. I mean, I think that the, the roller coaster ride of emotions is just that's life as a parent. I mean, really, that's what you go through. And so we just were getting a stronger dose of that before she actually existed. So that was really interesting. Um, so at that point, then we went in for the blood tests and basically had confirmation that, yes, it's working. Uh, we went in for a 10 week heartbeat test at one point, uh, 10 weeks in, <laughs> and that didn't go well, which is also kind of freaky. And by that point, that was at the midwife clinic. Yeah, so we basically had made the transition from fertility treatments into you're now seeing people who are there to help you be a pregnant lady. And the first appointment didn't go very well because I couldn't find a heartbeat. Which, again, is that feeling of, is this happening? Is this not really happening? I I mean, we had seen 
on, we had done a vaginal ultrasound at the fertility clinic. So we've seen the heartbeat mm-hmm. tw- a couple times, I think. A couple times, or yeah. heard it or something. Right. So we were like, yes, this is happening. Even, you know, at that point, the blood test had come back and said like, yes, the pregnancy hormone is going up. We saw the heartbeat. You know, they show you the ultrasound and you can't, I can't tell it's just what a it fuzzy is. And they're mess. like, look yeah. this. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> it doesn't look like anything to me. Right. Um, so we had sort of been excited. And then we went in for the heartbeat with the midwives who were doing an ultrasound like outside, uh, like a belly ultrasound. Um, and they, they weren't even doing an ultrasound. They had a Doppler. So we were just hoping to hear the heartbeat. And they couldn't. Um, find it at the time. And they, you know, of course, were like, oh, it's 10 weeks. It's pretty early. Come back in a couple weeks and we'll try again. Um, And so I think they probably were fairly positive. But on our end, it was just really scary to think that like all this hasn't worked. um, And the baby that we saw and heard earlier isn't there. Um, So again, back to that, like, I'm not sure this is happening I thought it was, and now it's not. So the roller coaster just continued. It did. And speaking of continuing, part two of this conversation is going to take place later on. Um, today was all about the kind of fertility treatments, the, uh, the the joy of getting pregnant leading up to what this moment is now. Um, but we're going to have a part two about this because there's a lot more of this story to tell. And I'm really excited with this about part two because part two has some thrill rides in it, uh, some really fun stuff. Uh, so if you enjoyed the conversation today, if you liked hearing about this, um, please send me an email, jeff at jeffsanders.com. And I ask that because uh, this is a conversation that I wanted to have for a long time. And uh, I mean, just to be frank, I've been asked about parenting advice uh, for years, but without having a kid of my own, the last thing I want to do is to give that. So I feel like in many ways, uh, the 5A miracle has taken a major upgrade uh, and we're in a, in a new, new territory now. And so I'm excited to dig into what that may bring in the next uh, coming years. And so uh, part two of this, we're going to discuss, you know, once again, all of pregnancy, uh, delivery, life as new parents, all of that fun stuff. And it's going to be it's gonna be a blast. So Tessa, thank you very much for being here today. Yes, thanks for thanks for having me. And I think, you know, if there are people out there who are thinking about fertility treatments or who are sort of going through infertility, just I, you know, I hope that you know that there are a lot of women and families doing that. Um, and you're not alone. And I encourage you to find someone to talk to, someone to be there for you. Um if you haven't already, you don't have to do it alone. And if, if that needs to be me, email Jeff and he'll pass it on to me. Um, but I, I just think this, you know, in society, people think that they have to go through this alone. Um, and I really hope that we can make conversations about fertility and infertility treatments and labor and delivery and all of that a little bit more common, um, household conversations because it's not, um, it doesn't have to be this really isolating thing, um, yes, there are ups and downs, but life has ups and downs, and and I think it's better to to go through those with other people. Well said. Totally agree. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks. And for the action step this week, connect with someone. If you're facing a challenge and you're trying to do it alone. Don't. 
One of the best parts of life is sharing your difficulties and challenges with people you trust because they can offer you a third-party perspective that you just cannot get without them. You know, life is definitely better and easier and so much more fun when you involve other people and open up to them. So if it helps, you can send an email to jeff at jeffsanders.com and then Tessa or I can respond and help wherever we can, especially if you are going through a similar challenge with fertility. Once again, my email is jeff at jeffsanders.com. And as always, be sure to go to the show notes page for the episode this week. That's jeffsanders.com slash 255 as in episode 255. And that's all we have for you this week. So until next time, remember that you have the power to change your life. And that fun begins bright and early. Hey, it's Jeff Sanders, and I'm here to tell you about Greg McEwen and his amazing show, The Greg McEwen Podcast, part of the Yap Media Network. Want to achieve more by doing less, all while avoiding burnout? You can design a life that really matters with Greg McEwen, author of New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. His mission is to help you advocate and negotiate your way to remarkable results. Every Tuesday, Greg discusses one key topic he finds interesting and valuable through the lens of the essentialist. Every Thursday, he invites thought leaders, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and people like you for inspired weekly conversations focused on learning how to do what matters first and do less but better. His content will stir your thoughts and spark inspiration and action. And his British accents, well, that's just the cherry on top. Subscribe to the Greg McEwen podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.